when giving feedback, we were told to not should on people so that your feedback doesn't get taken in the wrong context. This critique that you're about to give also needs to be framed and phrased in a way that you're not shooting on that person. Don't, you should have done this, you should have done that. Welcome to Order of Operations, Episode 8, Training. This is Part 3 of our five-part June series on employment. I'm your host, Nikki Atwood. And I'm Libby Lossing. I can't wait for you all to meet Young Gun, who is going to be joining us today as our interview. He's going to talk to us all about training as far as setting expectations, managing high and low performers, and giving feedback in a constructive manner. Nikki and I have been sharing our frogs the last couple episodes, but I really want to mix it up and bring some positivity. Nikki, who is your MVP this week? Who on your team or within the Mathnasium franchise do you think deserves acknowledgement for being a rock star? Nice. I love this. So we do shout outs every single team meeting. I feel like I have a lot. I like don't want to leave anybody out. So we have a couple team members who are currently running multiple centers for a variety of reasons. So this is not something that's usually done. It's usually one center director per center, uh, but we have two teammates that are overseeing two each. And so they have been rocking it, really just trying to manage that as well as all their personal obligations and doing a, a good job, doing lots of hard work there. In general, with the Mathnasium community, we have a new member at the home office who is fabulous. I've told her already that she is fabulous. So we have a new project manager, McLeese Stevens. She's awesome. I hope everyone gets to work with her soon. We just started a project with her and I told her that I was already very, very impressed. What about you, Libby? Who are Mathnasium MVPs this week? You stole McLeese Stevens from me. I'm so mad at you. You and I both love her. She's so good. Okay. So McLeese is definitely awesome. I'm really excited. She's under, uh, I don't know if she's under, if she's on the team with Mark, but Mark is another one of those rock stars that I've always really loved and I get excited to go to his breakout sessions during convention. My rock stars this week, I have Chase Ramirez. So he's the creative director for the marketing team and he is cranking out content right now. Everything that he's done is beautiful. Our rebrand was beautiful. I'm just always so in awe of Chase. I have Riley Howie, who is my brand new center director of Mathnasium of Mason North. I'm super proud of her. She's grown so much and she's gotten to absorb so much through all of these different experiences we have going on with COVID. And so I'm really excited that she got promoted. And then my last one would be Susie Schreid. So she owns multiple Mathnasiums in Colorado and she has some really awesome social media content. She's always done a really wonderful job of making her kids feel accomplish and feel proud of what they've managed to do in their mathnasium sessions. So she's just another one of those rock stars that I get excited to know that these people are in our franchise. Nice. Well, you use names for everyone. So I feel like I need to go back and clearly shout out that Katie Alsop and Tiffany Brewington are the two multi-center center directors right now for my crew. And I appreciate you coming up with this idea, Libby. This is a lot more fun than frogs. It is a lot more fun than frogs. And so now I'm super excited. I just shouted out some awesome people, but you guys are about to meet my partner in crime. So Young Gun has been with Mathnasium since 2014. 
from the jump, he was one of our best instructors. He's really incredible at teaching really advanced high school and college math. Karen and Steve actually wanted him to be our first center director whenever we were building out Mathnasium of La Jolla back in 2015, but Young Gun said no. And so he ended up being promoted to the ACB of Forest Ranch a little bit later on. And then eventually he took the promotion to center director. And he's been the center director of Mathnasium of Forest Ranch since December, 2017. He is an absolute beast. He's our first center director to ever hit target 83. And Evan and I fly him out to Arizona and Texas to help do training with our teams. So Young Gun is here with us today because he is incredibly effective at training teams. He sets really clear expectations. He gives direct feedback and he builds really autonomous teams. He's actually trained his team at Forest Ranch so well that he can spend half his time supporting our other seven learning centers. And then his learning center can manage to hit target 83 with him out of the office. So there's honestly a million topics that I would want to bring Young Gun into interview for, and it's really hard to focus on just training because there's so much I want him to share with everyone. But without further ado, I'm excited for you guys to meet Young Gun. Okay, y'all, I'm going to be setting this one out since Young Gun and I have been working together for about seven years, so I probably know a good portion of these answers. So Nikki, I'll go ahead and leave it to you. Awesome. Well, Young Gun, I appreciate you joining us today. I am super excited to pick your brain. We are going to start off with a couple easy questions, though. How long have you been with Mathnasium? What's your official job title and description? I've been with Mathnasium for somewhere right around six years, give or take. I started here at the Forest Mathnasium in San Diego, but I've been to quite a few around the country at this point. My official title is Center Director of the Forest Ranch Mathnasium, and my job really entails that in a primary aspect. And when I have the pleasure, I like to go to the other locations, do some training with the teams out there, and kind of just build up our team as much as we possibly can. Nice. Since you've been with Mathnasium so long, I'm sure our listeners would be interested in hearing what has caused such an A player like you to stay and grow with the franchise. That's a fantastic question. I think the biggest piece that's really, really kept me with the program here has been the students that I've been able to work with. A lot of them come in not enjoying math. To be perfectly honest, I had, I had a lot of difficulties with it myself going through school. So being able to help them with that transition is a joy that I don't know that I've really found anywhere else. And it's definitely been a huge motivator for me. Moving through the ranks here with the Lawson Franchise Group, I found that there's been a lot of freedom to make the right choices and right decisions when it comes to, to building my team and building my center. And I found that that's also been a pretty fantastic aspect of, of working here as well. Nice. And just a reminder, you can be honest, even though your boss is on the call too. So, <laughs> 100%. Today, we have lots of questions about training, but we want to break them down in two different ways. One is the initial training for a brand new employee, and two is the ongoing training for someone who has been with your organization for some time. Last episode, we talked a lot about expectations, and let's look at expectations with training. So how do you set expectations from the start with a new team member? The new instructors and new team members are always kind of an interesting case. Everyone tends to come into the role with their own preconceptions of what they are going to be doing, what it means to be a tutor. Either they have had some math experience in the past or some tutoring experience in the past. And I would say the most crucial aspect of that onboarding process is really to figure out where they are coming from. It often benefits me as a trainer to talk to them 
about what their experiences have been to figure out how they perceive the role. I like to let them talk to me for honestly 15 minutes to an hour just about what their experiences have been before we even dive into it so I can from there kind of build the proper structure of what the job actually looks like. Something that we say a lot with Team Temple, and this comes from James, is that happiness is the difference between expectations and reality. And so that's great how you spend so long to figure out really what their expectations are so that then you can manage those. So what is your onboarding and training process like? More specifically, after they complete their paperwork and need to start training to the time that they are working on the instructional floor independently, what does that experience look like for this new team member? That experience is a lengthy one. I think getting them to the point where I can have them be an active member of the team is a pretty quick process, but getting them to the point where they are a full-fledged instructor, completely comfortable in their role, and one that I don't have to handhold or monitor takes a little bit longer. That's, that's more like two to three months, whereas just getting them to be a valuable part of the team, someone who can help out and carry some weight, is more like a, a two to three week experience. The first piece of that would really be having them shadow one of your top team members just to see what that experience looks like, to be able to ask questions of the day-to-day, to know what the standard routines are day-to-day from there once they have a baseline. Then you really want to give them the big picture. I find that giving any new hire the opportunity to see what the end goal is right from the start gives them an idea of where they can work towards. It's showing them, hey, this is what you're going to be expecting. When you're fully competent in the role, when you're fully qualified in the role, this is what I'm going to expect out of you. Now let's go ahead and talk about the steps you're going to need to take. So I find that kind of building that big picture for them really, really does help. Showing them, I I guess you could say, the the whole blueprint. One thing I'll add to Young Gun is that something that we've added to our onboarding process is something called a day zero training. Young Gun mentioned a little bit that he does a pretty hefty overview of the role and the training process and what being integrated into being a mathnasium instructor looks like. But the other thing we've done is that I want people to see the bigger picture of our franchise portfolio because it's not something that a lot of our instructors would be organically exposed to unless you're in a location that me, Karen, or Evan are super hands-on in. Something you mentioned right when you started explaining this was that it's a lengthy process. So we have had people leave or people think that they don't need the training and that they're above the training after we've initially hired them. Like an example, we've had team members join that are teachers and they say, oh, well, I know how to teach. I'm I like, why do I need to do this? And they haven't had the best attitude to start out. How do you manage when someone has previous experience and thinks they don't need what you're about to teach them? I love interacting with those people. Mm-hmm. It, it's It's a fun experience because for me, all that means is they haven't seen or they haven't met the student that's going to stump them. Every instructor I've ever met has at least one student who they just cannot get through. They get stuck on some sort of explanation. The student just doesn't understand. They just say, I don't know for the entirety of their time working with us. And those are the students that I try to mimic that experience for any of those new onboarding teammates. So for somebody who would come in who says, oh, I've been a tutor for two years, I've taught into calculus and I've taught high school and college level mathematics. I like to bring numerical fluency at them. I like to ask 15 plus blank equals 32. 
and they'll always give me an algebraic explanation for that, how to figure all of that material out. And then I say, okay, what if they haven't learned any of that yet? I find that a lot of people who are established educators have a specific tool belt. They know what to use and what to say for a very specific problem, but they don't have a very varied tool belt. And I think it goes back to kind of what Mathnasium is in that we want to give other methodologies to solve something, not just this one specific way. Giving these people a question that doesn't necessarily stump them, but forcing them to explain it in a way that they've never explained it before is usually enough to crack that I have experience excuse. Nice. So it sounds like really, really kindly breaking them down and letting them know that no, they don't know everything. Correct. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> to, put, to put it plainly, yes. You, you want to give them that, that student experience of a student who just does not grasp the concept like they did. So how about with the other side? How lenient are you with a new employee? Like if they're late, if they've got the wrong dress code? You really can only be as lenient as you are on yourself. When it comes to, to new employees, if I haven't mentioned this aspect of dress code or training or practice, then, hey, it's my fault. I, I wasn't strict enough with myself in the explanation of the role. I didn't tell this person that, hey, I expect you to be here 10 minutes early and ready to go, or I expect you to wear this shirt, or hey, you know, Crocs with socks is probably not okay at work. If I have told them these things, then it's a matter of reiterating immediately when the issue pops up. If you let that issue sit, it's difficult to come back to it 30 minutes or an hour later. As soon as you see something, you need to be on top of it. Personally, I find that I'm probably more lenient than most. Usually I'll give one or two, uh, hey, we need to keep an eye out on this, but I want to let you know that I did notice. And then after the second time, it's you know formal write-ups and we have to have a formal conversation about this. But more often than not, I'll at least give one or two verbal warnings. So Libby, how about you for your management team? I think Young Gun can attest that I am the least lenient person that ever existed. I communicate almost exclusively in writing so that way I can always fall back on the fact that I set an expectation in writing and that you received it. I am very quick to call someone out if something doesn't match. Same with instructors. If an instructor doesn't match dress code, I send them home. Show up to work, ready to work. Young Gun's a lot more forgiving. Young Gun and I are the best of compliments and I have to look to Young Gun a lot to see if I'm being a hothead. It's super common that I'll look to Young Gun and I'll, I'll have to do a gut check with him. I'm like, was that, was that harsh? Was that too much? But at the end of the day, we deliver a really high quality service for a really expensive rate. And I want everyone in the business to be reflecting that high caliber. I take our business very seriously and I expect others to follow suit. So this is something that I struggle with that I've been excited to talk to you guys about. When someone needs too much training, how do you figure out what is too much? I'm quick to make excuses and say like, oh, well, they didn't have great mentorship through this or like, oh, we had to rush them through this part. And so that's why they need a little extra time or a little extra review. So the training wheels need to come off at some point. How do you figure out if someone's taking too long? It all ties back into that initial picture you give any new trainee. I like to attach time onto my training process so that they understand as well. I'm behind where I'd like to be and they're behind where they need to be. If I 
set out my training timeline correctly, then the expectation is already set. Then if they've been told one too many times, or if I've mentioned this one too many times, then everyone's on the same page. If I do have an employee who needs to be told a few extra times, that's where documentation really helps. So having formal evaluations or formal sit-downs with the center director or with whoever's part of your training team and have something in writing with dates to say, hey, we had this conversation here and we specifically mentioned that within the next two weeks, we would like to see this level of improvement. Being very, very clear and specific with those timelines allows for that because if you hit that next checkpoint where you needed to have seen this improvement by that time, then your options are very clear. So for me, I mostly work with our management team and I've been really fortunate that we have a pretty strong bench. For the most part, I try to have them fully trained before it's their turn to take the steering wheel. I'd say that with management, I give them three months and during those three months, I do a lot of corrections and a lot of documentation of how their performance metrics are looking. And I'm very kind and lenient in the fact that I try and blame the former manager if anything isn't up to snuff. I'm like, hey, like, I know you're just stepping into this. Here's how the numbers are looking. These do not meet my standards. I would like to see them improve. But I'm not holding it against you because this is somebody else's work and somebody else's work product that you're being held accountable for. I was trying to play it off like, hey, I'm not sure what you've been witnessing your predecessor doing. But just so we're clear, here are my standards and I want to see you do it this way. And that way, going forward, we're all on the same page. But typically by month three, if you're not performing the way I want to see you performing, then it becomes the conversation of, can you do this job? And if you can't do this job, I need you to be honest with me. But I'm pretty much mama bear the first three, maybe four months. And then at some point, I become... The shark would be that everyone knows where I'm like, this is not acceptable. Fix it. Fix it or there will be consequences. What about you, Nikki? What do you do in the temple organizations? Too often we've been too nice. I talk over and over again about radical candor. I think we've had a trend of ruinous empathy. And so I have been actively campaigning against it. And I think we need to be empathetic, but up, up to a point. And we do need to just be sure we have those clear expectations, hold everybody to the expectations and then move forward and have the best leadership in the spot or find a new person and work to train them and see how they fit. So how about with your top performers? Libby and I talk a lot about promoting from within. At what point do you train your team to do more? What are some signs that an employee is ready to do more? I will start my promotion process from the instructional team. I'll never surpass a, a position or anything to that effect. And I very, very rarely have someone come into a role if they did not start as an instructor. Almost everyone who comes into the Mathnasium group here starts as an instructor and works their way up, even if we off the bat see things for them in their future. With my team here, a big piece of it has to be dependability in their current role. If I can trust them in their current role, then I can start considering whether or not I can add a few extra responsibilities. From there, I like to have a conversation with everyone on the instructional team, even the ones I'm not necessarily looking at. I have a conversation about what they would like out of this job whether it's in six months or a year, do they see in themselves that they want to be a lead instructor? Do they see in themselves that they want to be an assistant center director? If they're not looking for either of those things, 
they're completely off the table already. If they are looking for those things, fantastic. What can I give them in terms of tasks and responsibilities that will show me that they can or cannot handle that task? So if they tell me that they want to be a lead instructor, awesome. Let me give you a task specifically designed for a lead instructor, and I'm going to give you a little extra time to do it, but I need to see that it's done and with a high enough quality. I'll show you how to do it. I'll train them, but it's a matter of being clear with that expectation and kind of testing the waters. That at least gives me an introduction to whether or not I think they can handle the role. And if all pans out, they already have some initial training. Nice. This seems like it's aligned with what Libby likes to talk about with planting seeds with the raw talent on your team. Are there any other ways that you're planting those seeds and like cultivating the talent? We mentioned in episode six about recruitment, we talked about how my dad and I look for the 51 percenters, the people with the really sparkly personalities who can honestly be successful anywhere you put them because they're just that tenacious and that ambitious and they just glow in a room. And so Young Gun's really good at helping me sniff out those kinds of people on our team. I know there was one that I had like an inkling that they could be good in maybe a year or two. And Young Gun came out to do training and he recognized the same person as someone who could be like an invaluable asset should we choose to invest in them and continue investing in them. And they just literally, you're hearing my phone bing. I'm going to edit it out, but I edited out a phone bing um, and it was them sending me back their signed offer letter for center director. So Young Gun and I really got spotting them early. And then just planting seeds because a lot of the people that we bring in as instructors have other STEM business education aspirations because a lot of them are pretty young and like in college. And then if you can catch them early when they haven't completely solidified what they see themselves doing career-wise and you just point out that, hey, you really do have a knack for mathnasium and you would make a great manager and there's lots of growth opportunities, and I can see you being passionate about this in a more long-term role. If you can plant those early, and then they have just a change of heart or a career shift, or they shift their major when they're in college, that's when you can really grab them, and that's what's happened with us with multiple people in our organization. So Yangan, he's really awesome at giving our team members feedback, and like very direct feedback, but he has this way of communicating with people where they don't feel the need to get defensive, so, Young Gun, what is your thought process and strategy whenever you're going into having these conversations? Because it is, it is a skill. I try to think from their perspective, how are they going to react to this very specific set of words? The goal for me is at least to phrase it in a way that will click with that team member. Uh, I try to figure out if there's going to be any sort of tension with a certain set of wording or a certain set of phrasing for that instructor or that team member. Because I find that even one word here or there can come off with the incorrect tone, play out that experience with the team member before you do it, so that when you do have that meaningful conversation, you can speak from their perspective. Once you do that, you can work with them to find whatever that solution is. All condensed down, it's using your words to bring them onto your team so that you as a team can solve this thing together. I know I have a hard time finding a balance between giving really direct feedback and being a sympathetic human. What advice do you have for the people like me who really struggle with training people and finding that balance when you're training people? I find that it helps a lot to see them as I would one of our students. You never tell them that the material is easy. You never tell them that this is something that they should know. 
I like to avoid the word should at all because it feels like there's an expectation of them needing to have had some sort of prerequisite knowledge of this task. Every step you treat as though they've never heard it before. It allows you to really walk through the process with them step by step and to figure out where their misunderstanding is. I never thought I would have to show an instructor how to put a garbage bag in a garbage can, but I've done that before for whatever reason, they just didn't know. And, you know, that's fine. That's okay. I'm going to show them and move on. So, Youngun, the way that we like to end all of our interviews is by asking if you have any questions for us. So, you and I have worked together for years and years now, so I feel that you don't have any for me, but do you have any questions for Nikki to take us home? Yes, I do. I, I was wondering if you actually could expand upon more on something you, you talked about a little while ago. It was something about ruminous empathy. Where did you start to notice and what do you think can be done about it? I'm so excited. We didn't plant this question. This is such a good question. <laughs> ruminous empathy is something that I learned from Radical Candor. And so that book is by Kim Scott and I love her. After reading the book and being able to like put a name to that mentality, then I started to recognize it like left and right. So there are four categories that you can really put your responses to your team. Ruinous empathy, I've mentioned a lot of times. There's also obnoxious aggression, radical candor, and manipulative insecurity. And so all of these are on a range of caring personally and challenging directly. And so that's the like sweet spot of radical candor. And so ruinous empathy is when you care so much personally, but you're not challenging directly. I don't question that my team cares a lot about each other, but I do think we have trouble challenging directly. Hearing others say, oh, they're new, it's fine, we'll just let them go. Or like, oh, they were having a bad day, don't worry about it. Like making excuses for other teammates or like maybe for their instruction team and avoiding feedback. If giving feedback is somebody's frog regularly, then that's a sign of, oh, hold on, we've got ruinous empathy going on here. Let's work together to get you to a place where you're more comfortable challenging directly. So if you haven't read Radical Candor, Young Gun, I highly recommend it. I like that a lot. I yeah. like that a lot. That's, that's a great thing. Thanks, Young Gun. Now we're to our problems of the week. And so Libby, one that we got submitted and that I get all the time is what are some systems and processes that we use for training? How do we keep track of everything? So we've done two things just so that way us as law things know that everything is very uniform across our portfolio. First is that we do a day zero orientation, which I mentioned a little bit earlier. And that is Evan does a 90 minute presentation with you before you get to step foot in the learning center. And that 90 minute presentation walks you through all of our expectations, it's basically a video conference version of our employee handbook. So that way, if nothing else, we know that you've been told things like dress code and what you would do if you need to drop a shift, anything like that. The second thing we do is that we have a passport system. So Karen, over the years, has really developed a very robust passport, which is all the different talking points we need to hit while training people. So what needs to be said before they watch the first new hire instructor video? At what point do we show them the binders? And at what point do we show them radius and all of these different things? And so she has the different line items that they need to hit. 
And then Karen has very detailed bullet points to make sure that things are said. And the employee and the center director has to initial off on them as they go through, sort of like getting stamps in a passport. So that way we all know that we're all on the same page and then it's just something that's kept inside of their employee file. What about you, Nikki? Do you guys have, I'm sure you do. I I know your team too well. What system do you have, Nikki? Not if, but what? What systems do you have? Oh, lots. First off, we do use an outside vendor to house all of our LMS and all of our content because we are so specifically systems driven. And that is a wonderful tool. If anyone uses or is looking for a good LMS system, I highly recommend Trainual. It's like training manual mixed together. So Trainual. It is set up that it can send out automatic emails to our training manager. So that way he gets checkpoints and can see, oh, this person's behind, this person's right on track, or this person's going too fast and I think there might be something wrong. We have a specific track for our part-time instruction team, and then we also have a very specific track for management. It's a lot of shadowing and working with your mentor, but also reviewing our guides and documentation and going through recorded videos and completing quizzes as well. We have systems on systems. Our second question that we got, and this is a technical one, is, Nikki, do you allow your employees to complete their training from home under normal circumstances, not during COVID time? So this, a couple years ago, we did. And so we had figured out how long each task would take, and then we would manually add that time and, and pay them for that time. But it was so much manpower to keep track of. And so we switched, and now everyone has to come in the center to do training. And with those automatic emails I was talking about with our system, we also track the time. And so we know how long things should be taking. And if someone is going way too fast or way too slow, then their supervisor has a conversation with them. How about you, Libby? We absolutely do not let anyone do training from home because we had too many people claim that training was taking them like 17 hours. And it's just like, no, we know how long the videos take. Like, what are you doing? Are you pausing and taking like snack breaks, but you're not clocking out? So we absolutely have them come into our learning centers. Also, we talked with Young Gun about how there's people who think that they already know how to do things the right way. So having them in center and knowing that their eyeballs are on the screen and they're not dozing off, that's really important for us as far as quality control, because we do enforce a lot of the methodology that is showcased in their training. Awesome. Thank you so much for all of your questions. That's it for Problems of the Week. And that is also it for Episode 8, Training. Thank you for listening to Order of Operations. I'm your host, Nikki Atwood. And I'm Libby Lossing, and we'll leave you with this. Kim Doss, there's a podcast every Monday. Download and subscribe. Bye.